All right, well, good morning, guys. Such a joy to be able to come and just worship the Lord together, isn't it? Uh, this morning, we're going to be uh, taking back up in the book of Matthew. So if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. Uh, we've had a couple, I think, pretty neat studies uh, through Matthew already. We've only just got started, uh, including the genealogy, I, I, you know, several of you have commented to me on, on how neat that, that uh, genealogy was. I thought so, too. It's like, wow, Lord, never saw that before. That was cool. And so we were able to walk through that and just, you know, all those things that, you know, we see and learn of our Lord and our God just through a genealogy and how no one is too far gone for his grace. You know, no one is too far. No, nobody is just like, hey, you know what? Forget that guy. Write him off. Forget that lady. Her sin is too dark for me. You know, the God, God can use anybody. He can use the down and outs. He can use the Manassas. He can use the Rahabs. He can use the, the, peop, the people that everybody uses as a byword. Right? He can use any of that. And the great comfort in that is that if he can use all of them, it means he can use you and he can even use me. You know, what a blessing. And then last week in chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2, we saw these different people. We saw these different people groups around the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how Matthew doesn't really give much information about the birth itself. It's just like, oh yeah, and, and, and he was born. But he, he really focused in on all these different people who were around the birth. Herod, the great, not really, a madman. Right? The wise men, the scribes, the priests, the, the general population. And how each one of them had a choice on how they would receive their Messiah. And some received them with great exceeding joy, who longed to worship, who sacrificed to worship. Others we see received the Lord with fear and anxiety and hatred. While others had a, a, a knowledge base on who the Messiah was supposed to be, where he would be born, and that was enough hey, you know what, my intellectual pursuit is all I need. You know, I know where he's born. I know the scriptures. I can tell you where the scriptures are. I can impress my friends. I can, you know, I, I can be like the, the life of the party, so to speak, by being able to say, oh, this is where he is. You know, I used to be one of those guys, I suppose to some degree I kind of am, where it's like it's not, you like to have the answer for everything. Oh, 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 like that, that was these guys. But they weren't willing to go any further than that. And then you had the general, general population, which they didn't care one way or the other. It, the only thing that upset them was that Herod was upset, and so they were upset. Right? So all these different people had a different reason, a different, a, a different angle, so to speak, on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of them had a choice. Were they to receive him with love and adoration, or were they just going to receive him intellectually, or were they going to not care one bit, or were they going to hate him? And every single one of us face that exact same choice this day, don't we? Our culture faces that same choice this day. What will you do? How will you receive the Messiah? Well, this morning, we're going to start back up at verse 11. So we're gonna, actually going to kind of kind of go a little bit into the study of last week. We're just only like one verse. We're just going to jump up a little bit, and we're going to begin there. We're going to go through. And this morning's message is primarily on the provision, the protection, and the direction of our God. 
right? He is going to be ministering to Joseph and Mary and protecting his own son, Jesus Christ. But in that, we also have many lessons for us as believers in our daily walks on how we can trust in our God and follow after him. So why don't you go ahead and join in with me? We're going to start at verse 11 and read through the chapter. And when they had come into the house, that is the wise men, the magi, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And he sent forth and put to death all male children who were in Bethlehem and in its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Lord, every week, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. Lord, for your word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit, joint from marrow, and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, we pray that you would take your word now, and Lord, that you would do surgery on us. Lord, that you would look into us. Lord, and that you would give us eyes to see our own hearts. Lord, through your word, Lord, divide the things of faith from the things that are not of faith. Help us to understand where they lie in our lives. That we might be men and women who adore you, who trust you, who give all glory to you, who receive you with all adoration. Use now your word, Lord. Let it have its complete work in us, that it might bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 11, it says that these wise men, these magi from Babylon, they came and they saw the young child uh, with Mary, his mother, and they fell, fell down and worshipped him. Right? Remember how we saw it's like, you know, like they are wise indeed. Right? When you come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are presented with the cross of Calvary, there is only one true and right answer there's only one response that is worthy, and that is to worship him. 
When you know, when you understand, when you comprehend what it is that the Lord did for you, what he did for me, there is only one response, and that is to worship. You know, some come sneering, some come with curiosity and things like that, but in the end, none of those things will get you into heaven. None of those pursuits will get you into heaven. There's only one right answer. When you come face to face with the God who created the heavens and the earth, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who redeemed you back to himself from sin and death, that you might have life. There's only one response, and that is to worship him. And if you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, and you're flat, and you're just, okay, you, you sing about the cross, and you, you talk about the cross, and you read about the cross, and if it, if it doesn't move your soul, if it doesn't move your spirit, then I would just say, hey, I've been there too. And it's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. We are called to worship our God. And sometimes there are things that get in the way of that worship, huh? Worry, doubt, hardships financially. And sometimes it's hard to trust God. Sometimes it's hard to rely on Him. And yet, the Lord is amazing. He is amazing in the provision that he provides for us. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced the provision of the Lord where it's like, man, I just don't know how I'm going to make it. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I, I, I'm looking at all the stuff and all, you know, all the headwaters are coming together and there's no way I'm going to be able to get out of this one. I'm never going to get out of this one. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody drops off a check. Somebody puts a gas card on, on your windshield. Somebody you know, sends a bunch of food your way. And also it's just like, Oh, I don't have to buy groceries now. I can use this to pay for this and keep my lights on. Or, oh, I can do this and I can do that. The Lord has such incredible ways of providing for our needs. And I just love it right here in this context. In verse 11, it says that, so these men, these magi, where where did they come from? They came from Babylon. How far away is Babylon? It's over 200 miles away. Babylon, 200 miles away. These are Gentiles. Okay, they're not even Christian, so to speak. These are Gentiles who live 200 plus miles away and the Lord moves in their heart, hey, I want you not to just know and acknowledge, oh wow, a king has been born in Israel, the Messiah. I want you to get up off your cushions and I want you to take your camels or however it is that you're going to walk and I want you to go to Israel and I want you to bring gifts to him. I want you to worship my son as he is worthy to be worshipped. And these men were moved to get up from their comfort and to come all the way to Israel to seek out and find the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they come and they walk into the house and they see Mary and they see Jesus, the baby there. He's a child, you know, one to two years old. And they come and they fall down and they worship him. And then I love this. It says, and when, when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh now you guys have to understand joseph and mary you know all of us in this room right now would be considered wealthy every single person in this room would be considered wealthy see the clothes we're all wearing okay do they have holes in them only by choice right they're all it's more style isn't it it's by choice everybody here wearing a pair of shoes 
Well, if you have your sandals, you might have kicked them off in the door. But if you wanted to, you have a pair of shoes on right now, yes? Okay, any of you have at least $1 in the bank? Very good, awesome. How many of you have a place to stay tonight? Warm water? Food. Wow, we have a lot, don't we? Do you know that there are multiplied millions of people today, this morning, who will not eat? There are millions of babies who have no clothes, no diapers, nothing, who are starving. Do you know there are millions upon millions of people who have no shelter? No way of getting out of the rain or out of the sun. Okay. We in this room are wealthy. Okay. Mary and Joseph, they weren't as bad as all of that, but they were the poorest of the poor. And we know that from the gospel accounts because of the offerings that they give. See, the Lord, when you had a baby, you had to come and you had to, especially your firstborn, you had to redeem your firstborn son back to yourself. You had to redeem him back from the Lord. You had to basically purchase him to the Lord, okay, because the first belongs to the Lord. And so what they would do is they say, okay, if you are a wealthy man, sacrifice a bull, right, a large animal. If you are middle class, you can sacrifice a sheep or a goat of the flock, one-year-old without spot, without blemish. Okay, that would be still a, a hefty offering. If you were the poorest of the poor, you can give a dove or two doves. Right? Anybody could go out with a net and catch a dove. Right? It's something that anybody could do. And when Joseph and Mary presented Jesus at the temple, what offering did they give? Did they give a bull? No. Did they give a sheep or a goat? No. They gave two doves. Right? They were poor. They had nothing. And th- there's a great trip that's getting ready to happen in front of them, right? Hindsight, we can, we can look in the scriptures and look backwards like, oh yeah, big, uh, big road trip, getting ready to come down the pike here. Th- would they be able to afford to go down to Egypt? Probably not. They probably didn't have the means to get there. And yet the Lord moves a year to possibly two years earlier. He moves these people to begin a journey from Babylon to Israel. And so these men, now Joseph and Mary, they have no idea what's going on. They have all they know is like, hey, you know, wow, wow, something incredible. You know, the angels came, spoke, this is going to be Jesus. He's going to save his people. They know this baby is special. I think it's the Messiah. And you can see throughout the scriptures, Mary's not completely sold on that. She thinks so, but she's treasuring in her heart. She's just waiting for further information, right? So they know this baby is special and all of that, but they're poor. They, they don't have the things that they need. They don't have the comforts that we have. And the Lord is about to send them on a journey, but he does it in such a way that he provides for the journey before they ever even begin the journey, right? He sends these people from Babylon to come with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I don't have to tell you, any of you, everybody here knows gold's worth something, right? You know, everybody here knows that gold is valuable. Everybody in the world knows that gold is valuable, okay? So these men, they bring gold to Joseph and to Mary, presenting it to Jesus, their son. But not only that, they also bring frankincense and myrrh. Now, I know, you know, pretty much every one of you here, if you have grown up under the teachings of Pastor Chuck or anything like that, you know, you, you, or, or any really uh, biblically teaching congregation, you know that the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh represent, you know, the gold represents his kingship that he is going to be, the frankincense, his priesthood. 
that uh, you know he was to do, and the myrrh is a symbol of it's something that you anoint a dead body with in these days. Uh, it's, it's part of the preparation for you know putting them into the tomb and all that. And so you see, you know, you know who he is, what he is going to do, and also that he was going to die for the sins of the world. We see all that in these gifts. It's very symbolic. But see, here's the cool thing about the Lord: the Lord is not just mystic. He is not just, ooh, look at these symbolisms that I sent these guys. It, it, it's, you know, the reason why he did that wasn't so people like us could sit here and go like, ooh, and kind of geek out on like, wow, look at that. You see the symbolism? Isn't that amazing? Now, mind you, that is true too. He did give that to us so we can just be in awe of his word. But there was also a more practical need. They needed to eat. They needed to be able to have transportation to get to Egypt to protect the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed to have shelter along the way as they went. The Lord is very practical in those areas as well. Yes, he, he does the mystery. He, he, he likes to wow us with all of these things, but the Lord also knows how it's like, you know what? My kids need to eat, and he's going to provide. He's going to provide. And, you know, most of you know my testimony. You know, we sold our house and all of that to go through Bible college and the whole bit, and I quit my job and, and all of that, and I don't recommend everybody do that. You, know, you, you need to be absolutely certain that it is God calling you to do that and not just a whim, because there's a lot of guys in Bible college and school of ministry, Jake can testify, that just like, oh, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do this, and it's like they were never called. They were never called to that. It's just something that they want to do, and he, most of the time it doesn't work out. Okay? there's a lot of that that goes on. But if the Lord does call you, then it's like, yeah, you got to do it. You got to do it. And it was really neat just to see the provision of the Lord because the amount of money that we got from the sale of our house literally carried us all the way. Our bank account was down to zero. So all the money, all the proceeds of our house, which were substantial because that was like at the beginning of the boom, right? Of the housing boom. And that came down to literally zero. The first day I received a check from Worship Generation as a pastor. Okay, God knew exactly. He knew the coffees Heidi would buy. He knew the teas that I would buy. He knew all the gifts because Heidi, her love language is gifts. She loves to give gifts, right? He knew all the gifts that we'd buy for Christmas and birthdays and things like that. He knew all of it. And he literally gave us the exact dollar amount that we needed to get us through that season. Okay, God has a way of providing for us. And any of you guys ever read George Mueller? George Mueller is this amazing man of faith, and basically his claim to fame was he never asked for a penny. He always prayed for it. And if you read his, his, um, his, his own journal, it's funny because what he prays about all the time is like, Lord, we need money. Lord, we need money. Lord, we need... So you can see like that was a stressful factor in his life. Lord, we need money. And it's like you go through his whole ministry, his whole life, and you know what he's praying for? Like, all the time. I was reading it to Heidi one time, and she was getting bored with it. She goes, it's like every chapter, he's just asking for money, asking for money. And yes, the Lord answers and gives the money, but it's like, gosh, it's kind of hard reading, Brian. It's like, yeah, but it's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, it is cool, but it's really hard reading, especially at night. I'm falling asleep, man. And But like George Mueller, what he do is like, he basically opened up several orphanage houses. He, he tended for thousands of orphans, and he gave away thousands of Bibles to people who needed them all through prayer. He never asked a penny. People gave, like the, the money just kept coming in. And he, just, and he just kept saying, Lord, we need this. Lord, you know we need this. Lord, we need this. The boiler breaks down. Lord, please, we need the people are coming to 
fix the boiler. Lord, please stop the weather that's supposed to be coming. Lord, please stop it. And not only that, give the men the heart to work so they'll do it quickly. And then sure enough, the weather front literally stops. And then the men who come, they, they tell their boss, hey, you know what? We got to finish this and we need, we're going to work all through the night into the next day. And the boss is like, yes, but you have to start the next project and I can't give you the day off. You must go on to the next project. They said, we won't sleep and we won't eat, but we're going to, we're going to work. We're going to get this done all through prayer, all through prayer. God is an amazing giver. Did you guys know that? Now I'd like to kind of look at one angle on this, these wise men themselves. Anybody here ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit to give something to somebody? Yeah. How many of you now, take that in mind now, how many of you fought it and didn't do it? What if the wise men didn't do it? Now, you can be sure that the Lord would have sent provision another way. Kind of like Esther, remember Esther, for such a time as this, Mordecai told her. Provision would have come one way or the other. They would have got to Egypt because the prophecy said it. He, I called my son out of Egypt. So it's going to be done. But those men would have missed the most incredible moment of their life. It says that, that they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They fell down and they worshipped him. You gotta, you, like, this was an amazing worship set, wasn't it? Were you guys feeling it? I was feeling it. But it's like, you got you to gotta know that that moment when they were sitting there looking at this toddler, the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophesied Messiah, knowing who he was, when they offered their gold, when they offered their frankincense, when they offered their myrrh, there was no sweeter time of worship ever. They would have missed it. They wouldn't have been part of it. And so I would like to encourage you guys, like, you know what? When the Lord moves your heart, when he challenges you and says, hey, I want you to do this, guys, do it. And not only that, but... When somebody comes to you, now here's another one. Anybody here ever been offered something, provision from somebody else? They came up maybe with a check, maybe with food, maybe with whatever. Anybody ever feel embarrassed, awkward, didn't want to take it, unworthy? No, 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 for sure. Guys, listen to this. The Lord moves the hearts of his people. All right, so whether you be the person that God is saying, I want you to do this, take of your resources, take from your abundance and give to this person, my servant who needs it. And you think, wait a second, there have been times, pastor, when I have received something from somebody or they've offered it to me and I didn't need it. Well, you know what? I would beg to differ with that. I would like to just argue that point just for a second, because now, sometimes when people, because I've received stuff before too, that I didn't necessarily quote unquote need. But you know, let me tell you this. I did need it. I didn't need the, the material possession itself. I didn't need the actual food card at that moment. We had food, we had money in the bank and all that. But you know what I did need? I did need to know that the Lord cared about me. I did know, need to know that my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ were being sensitive to the Spirit and that they had a heart of love towards me. And I needed to be able to learn how to receive the gifts that God has given. Because see, we in this room are a family, aren't we? And in a, in a congregation this size, you become a family really fast, don't you? Because we know everybody. You know, you, know, you know what's going on in my life. I know what's going on in your life. We share one another's burdens. 
And guys, we need to know that the beauty of that family is that God will oftentimes take, hey, when you have an abundance, a surplus, he'll say, hey, you know what? This person over here needs it. And when you have that prompting, guys, go with it. Go with it. And when somebody comes to you with that offering, don't rob them of the blessing that God has given to them. Because those of you who have given something before, who are moved by the Spirit and gave, did it feel horrible? Oh, God, making me do this again. Was that the way you went away from it? If you did, then it would have been better if you didn't give it at all. But I can tell you 100% of the times in my case, when the Lord has moved me to do something like that, I walk away with a snicker. You feel like a, like, like you're a little boy just getting, or a girl, and you just got away with something. You're like, <laughs> right? Especially when you do it anonymously and they don't even know. And you're like, I wonder what they'll think. And, you, and you, it's almost like Christmas, huh? Like when, you, when you're like hiding the presents under the tree and all that, and, and you, you can't wait, you can, you're imagining what your kids will do when they open it. And w- when you give something like that, remember how exciting it was when you gave it, and you're just like, I wonder what they'll do when they see it. I wonder what they'll think. Because you want to bless. It, it, it's, it's the Spirit in you rejoicing because He wants to bless them. So guys, we need to be willing to be moved by the Spirit and we need to be willing to receive from the Spirit. And whether you need the finances or the food or the gas or not, what you do need is to know that your God loves you. And you do need to know that God uses His people to minister to you, to remind you of that fact. Amen? Amen. And then, not only that though, and you you never know where God's provision will come from, and I love that too, that's like the mystery. You know, like where it's going to come from. Because when, when you really do it, when you do need it, and you're like, when's it going to come? And you start getting the butterflies in your stomach, and you start not being able to sleep very well at night. And then all of a sudden, it's like at the last possible second, huh? That's usually when it comes. Now, th- th- there was a time when you thought was the last possible second, but when the actual last possible second comes, that's when it comes, huh? Isn't God cool like that? I love that. It, sometimes it drives me nuts because you're just like, oh, really, Lord, did you have to cut it that close? And I think he's just like, yeah, yeah, I did. Otherwise, it wouldn't produce faith in you, my son. So it can come from anywhere. But not only that, but I love this. It says in verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, when who had departed? The Magi, right? So these Magi, they come, they, they, they bear their gifts, they worship, they have a great time, and off they go. So they take off. It says, Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to who? Was it to the Magi? Did, they, did the angel come to the Magi and say, good job, guys, well done. You know, let me walk with you a little ways back home. Well, he did appear to them. He just said, don't go back to Herod. Right? Don't go back to Herod. So, so they, they got the, the angelic vision too, which was pretty cool. But this angel from the Lord comes and he speaks to Joseph now. He speaks to Joseph in a dream. He says, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Those of you who are familiar with the book of Revelation, you go to Revelation chapter 12, there's a bunch of visions that happen. Seem almost out of place in, in the, the section of scripture that, that's surrounding it. But basically what you have is you have a bunch of typologies, big picture stuff. Like if you want the big, like, okay, here's the overall, the panorama of what's going on with Israel. And it speaks of the dragon coming and the, the woman in travail, which is the nation of Israel, and the dragon coming with his mouth open, ready to eat or destroy the child. Well, the reason why a lot of people, a lot of commentators, and myself included, don't like to call Herod 
a great guy, we like to call him a madman or a psychopath, is because he is literally the mouth of Satan. He is the teeth of the devil. In Revelation chapter 12, when you read that, it's talking about Herod, right? This man who received Christ with fear and jealousy and hatred. He was the instrument of the devil, of Satan himself, to destroy the Messiah. Okay, that's him. But he says, take off because because Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, that's Joseph, says he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And uh, and there was uh, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, what we have here is, okay, we've kind of covered the whole provision of God. You know, God takes care of his people and it comes in lots of different ways. And sometimes we're that way that he uses Sometimes, you know, he's using other people to provide for us. But now also God protects his children. Now you think, oh, wait, 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 wait a second, pastor. Hold on a second now. What about all those martyrs? If you listen to K-Wave, I think there's one just recently where it's like talking about, you know, this pastor who, you know, he had, he would put the boxes on his bike and he'd go travel and, and he'd give out Bibles. I think it was in India. And then a bunch of, you know, radical Buddhists came and they like literally, they shot him, they shot his son and they slashed his wife with a machete. Then they took his Bible hut and they lit it on fire and threw him in there and let him burn to death inside the Bible hut. Where was God's protection there, Pastor. Okay, now let me just say this. God does protect his people. Sometimes physically, always from the plans of the devil. Okay, you think, wait a second, wait a second. You're telling me that this man being burned to death, his wife dying, his son survived. And both and his other son too, and they actually deliver Bibles in the name of their father to this day. Okay? You're telling me, though, Pastor, that this man being shot and then thrown into a hut and burned alive was God's will for his life? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Yes, Satan had a heyday with it, and he took great pleasure in it. And I'll just remind you of another instance in history when that very same thing happened, the cross. That last song we sang, there it was. Satan, uh, he couldn't, even if he knew the prophecies, even, and I'm sure he did, and he knew it's like he couldn't resist. He had to do it. He, he wanted to do it. He hated God. He hated Jesus. And so even though he knew it would be his undoing, even though he knew it would destroy him and that was the end of his reign and that he for sure was going to go to Gehenna and that was it and people were going to be saved out of his clutches, he couldn't help it. The opportunity to destroy, to crucify, to spit in Christ's face was there and he couldn't resist it. He took it. And it's like, you know what? But it was God's will, wasn't it? that Christ died on the cross. It was Christ's will that he died on that cross. And you know what? The Lord, precious in his eyes, are the death of his saints. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. And you know what? This pastor, his wife, this was their time. And they were willing to lay down their lives for the glory of God. And now, part of it, yes, it was, you know, for this time and space, hey, you know what, this is my God, I will serve him, but beyond that, for a greater resurrection. That's what, that's what the gospels, or not the gospels, but the epistles say. 
right? Many of these people, I believe it's the book of Hebrews, they, they talk about these men who are willing to lay down their lives for a greater resurrection, for a greater glory in heaven because their treasure was there. And so they were willing to lay it down. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes God allows us to die physically, but he will always protect his children from the plans of the enemy, right? This was the plans of the enemy. His desire was to keep Jesus Christ from ever growing up, to keep the Messiah from ever fulfilling his role, to keep him from going to the cross. Remember when he came in the wilderness and tempted Jesus? What was his temptation? His desire was basically to get him to not go to the cross any way he could. He was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross because that would be his undoing. But God doesn't just protect from our physical. In this instance, he was, he was protecting Joseph and Mary and specifically Jesus from Herod, the psychopath. But he also protects us many times from emotional harm, doesn't he? There are times where, you know, we're just going through it and we're just like, we're at the breaking point and then God will move one of his children and what do they do? They text you a verse out of the blue. Anybody ever had that one happen? Or you'll be sitting there and you'll be driving home and a song comes on the radio and all of a sudden it's just like, it's, it's your song. It's your song. It's for that moment. And all of a sudden you're like crying out. And so he, he ministers to your, to your soul. And then there's other times where it's like your spirit where you feel so dry inside and you're just, you feel so distant and so far and so dead inside. And all of a sudden God and his spirit just comes and it like ministers to you and it revitalizes you. And it's like a breath. It's like you'd been holding your breath for a really long time. And all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> or you've been like walking through a, heart, uh, a harsh and hot and, and arid place. And you take that first cup of drink of cold water and you, you know how you can feel it just like go through your stomach. And doesn't that feel amazing? And sometimes God does that for our spirits, right? He protects us. He provides for us, yes, physically and emotionally and spiritually and all those things too, but he also protects us. His spirit will come and have guard over us. And it's important to understand these things. It's important to know these things, that they are true. Because sometimes, you know, Satan, you know, he looks like that roaring lion and, and he's growling and he's trying to scare us and he's trying to intimidate us. And yet when we know the Lord, when we know his protection, then we realize, oh yeah, that lion, it's got a loud roar, but he ain't got no teeth. Hey, kitty, 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 kitty. Okay, can his demons do anything to you? Can they touch you? Only by the will of God. That pastor being killed for his faith, that was allowed. It was God's will for that man's glory to glorify his God. And you got to know that his sons have a greater and more intense walk than they've ever had in their lives. And you can see it because they're, they're carrying those Bibles now in their father's place. And, and, and it's funny because that story doesn't talk about the sons helping the dad until after he died. He passed on a legacy to his children of faith. He passed a legacy of faith to his sons. And it the price of that legacy was his own death, the death of his wife. <laughs> Guys, verse 14, it says, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And guys, I love this. I love this. 
the more I get to know, because we only know this little bit about Joseph, don't we? But what I do know about Joseph, I dig him. I like Joseph. Because he receives a dream, he takes his wife, right? Even though there's a lot of bad stuff around it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to have to move. You notice he didn't go back to his hometown after they left for the census. They stayed there. Do you guys get that? Do you see the subtlety of what's being said there? He didn't want to go back. Okay? And then now, in a dream again, the Lord says, Arise, get out of here. You're in danger. This child is in danger. Flee. Joseph wakes up. Does he like hang around and like you know have a falafel and some coffee and sit back and go, huh, that was a curious dream? What does he do? He arises that night, he gathers his stuff together, whatever meager he had a house of some kind. That's where because it says that the wise men they came to the house, right? He had a house of some kind. Guess what he did? He forsook it. He got Mary up, he got Jesus bundled up, they took the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and they left. Right? He left. And God provides, God protects. But guys, it's also very important that we have an urgency to obey. Right? There is an urgency to obedience because, guys, we need to know that it's like, hey, God is protecting us. And oftentimes our protection you know, from the harms of this world come in the fact that we hear the word of God and we obey it. Many times you'll say, hey, don't do that. Anybody here ever like getting ready to send out a text or an email and all of a sudden the Spirit says, stop, don't do that, don't send that. I know you're completely right in saying it, but don't. As a pastor, I've done that dozens of times. Maybe, maybe it was an email that was meant for you. Oh, <laughs> but you know, it's like there's times, like, literally, I've drafted, I mean, dozens of letters that never went. That you sit there and you just type it up and it's all in love and it's all like, maybe it's a rebuke, maybe it's not, maybe it's this, and you just type the whole thing up and then you sit there and you, and this is an important thing for you guys who text and Facebook and, and all that stuff. Before you send anything, give a quick prayer about it. Lord, would you have me send, now if it's just a laugh out loud kind of thing, don't worry about it. But anything of any kind of content whatsoever, before you hit send, go, Lord, would you have me send this? There have been so many times where I had typed out, me and Joey before when I was at Worship Generation, we had drafted and spent hours drafting letters, big, long letters. And then we sit there and look at it and go, and we pray, we come back to it and go, yeah, let's delete here to here. And it just says, hey, good to hear from you. God bless, Joey. We've literally done that. I've done that here. I've typed up letters like, oh, here it is. And, you know, like did something else. It's like the Lord just like, don't send that. Don't send that. There have been times where I've literally had like a word for somebody. And it's just like, yeah, this person needs to hear this. This is totally, yes, I, and, and I'm ready, Lord. Okay. You know, you've shared it to me. You've, you've got it to me. And then also the Lord just says, don't do it. Stop. And it's like, really? Yep. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, something happens. And it's like, oh, it's a good thing I didn't say that. Because that would have ruined everything. Okay, guys, there is an importance in being sensitive to the spirit and the leading of God. And if you don't know what I'm, what I'm talking about, guys, when you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are in tune with God the Father through the Holy Spirit, 
right? You will be, you'll be going about your daily life and all of a sudden they'll be like, and I can't explain it. If you've never heard it, it's that still small voice. And sometimes God does speak with the audible voice. That does happen. I know people have, it's happened to me. Okay, when I, before I was a believer, actually, since I've been a believer, it never happens again. It's like, oh, man, it just shows you how dense I was and how much I needed to, to like come to the Lord. But we need to be ready. We need to be listening. We need to be attentive to God. And we need to be able to recognize that voice when he speaks. Because there are some things that, man, would have been absolutely catastrophic if I hadn't heeded that, that prompting of God to say, don't do that. And even though those things that I did, like I was completely in the right. I had every right to do it. One time I received a long, nasty, scathing letter towards somebody that I had only ever been nice to. I had been nice to, to him. I had been nice to his wife. I had been nice to his children. Right? I had been nothing but sweet and dear to them completely. I answered a, an email that he sent to me, and I, I was trying to encourage him. And then he didn't like the way I encouraged him, and he sent this scathing letter, and his wife was really uncomfortable that, that, that he sent it. She goes, she literally asked him, what do you think he'll do when you send that? I think that was her like warning, like trying to like stop him. And he goes, it can't be anything but good. That, that was his response. So he sends this letter, and you have to know, I was offended. I was like, how dare you? How dare you? And I'm like... You know, I'm, I'm getting ready to write this up. And I sat on it. I didn't send it. And then the next day, I'm going down from my house, down the hill, and there's this um, a Bible study on. And it just talks, and the Bible study, the pastor, just for that moment, because it was the very end of the message, you know, before K-Wave cuts it off, and it's like, okay, we'll finish this lesson next time. It was literally, I, I, I turned on the radio. It was on for a full 15 seconds before the end of the message. And this pastor was just talking about the need to bear other people's burdens. Just take it, he said. When somebody does these things and they, they make you angry, do these things, he says, just bear it, because that is the love of Christ. Bear it. And I'm just like, and the K-Wave music came on, and that was it. I'm just like, Lord, Lord. And you know what? I did bear it, and to this day, I have ministry with that guy and his family, and it's amazing. But I was in my right. I could have rebuked him and said, I could have challenged every point he did, and I could have been completely justified. And yet the Lord said, that's not what I want for you. I don't want you to be right. I want you to love him because I'm dealing with much bigger things than that in his life today. And see, we don't always know what's going on in other people's lives. And we can say, in our, in our view, we can see this one area of their life that's just like, ah, you know, oh my goodness, that is so ridiculous. Dude, you just need to step off your soapbox and like chill out or something. Right? And, and we can see it blaring, but God's like, oh, no, 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 that's this big. There's this area in his life that you, have not, that you know nothing about that is way bigger of a deal in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? We need to know when to speak and when not to speak. We need to know when the prompting of the Lord comes. We need to recognize that voice because in our flesh, in our spirit, and, and like you know that feeling, huh? The things that you want to say, boy, they come easy, don't they? They like rise up. It's like, and the devil's right there going, here's the word you're looking for. <laughs> I know you don't really use these words anymore, but there they are. Come on. You know, you don't feel so good if you do that. Come on. Guys, we got to know. We need to be able to decipher between our fleshly vindication 
compared to the spirit of meekness and humility where God says, just bear the burden. We need to know and understand the promptings of God. And we see that with Joseph here. He forsook his house. He, he, he got up. He woke up Mary. Hey, Mary, sorry to wake you up, but we got to go. Yeah, we got to go now. Yeah, this ain't good. Let's, we're out of here. We're going to Egypt. Where? Egypt. Okay. But know also that, was this an accident? No. The Lord anticipated it. He wasn't afraid that Herod was actually going to succeed or anything like that. He's like, he even had one of his prophets, you know, prophesy about it. I'm going to call my son out of Egypt. Well, how could he call his son out of Egypt unless he was sent to Egypt somehow? The Lord's just like, don't worry, I got it. I got it. And the things that seem so huge to us, to the Lord, are like, just trust me. Listen to my voice. I'll guide you. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And that word exceedingly, it's used twice in this chapter. The first time was by the wise men. And you you see the contrast? The wise men were exceedingly joyful when they saw his star. And then they came to his presence and they worshiped him and they gave him gifts. And now you have this psychopath, this uh, man maybe possessed by Satan himself, who knows, but this crazy guy. And when he realized that his little trap to be able to murder the Messiah fell through. Because remember, he knew it was the Christ. He asked the priest and, and the priest, and I'm sorry, and the, um, the scribes, he said, where has he come from? And they said, the Christ comes from here. He asked him, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? He knew it was Messiah. He knew it was Messiah. But when his little trap failed, he became exceedingly angry. He became exceedingly angry. And it says, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Now, guys, it's important that we understand the provision of the Lord. It's, under, it's important to understand that you know, God also protects us, and it is also absolutely crucial that we have an urgency to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we we who have given our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ are sent into the world. We are as lambs sent in the midst of wolves. And you think, oh, well, this is just one guy who is, who is you know, yeah, there's, there's a couple like Mussolini's, there's a couple Hitler's, there's a couple of those. They're scattered throughout history. Guys, no, no, they're not. Because any one of us, and I, I'm just going to talk about myself for a second right now, and it, it's... It's a topic I honestly don't like. I feel kind of uncomfortable talking about the old Brian, the Brian that died. Because that Brian, given the right opportunity, with no fear of retribution like that, I was capable of anything. If I'm honest with myself, I was capable of murder. I was capable of rape. I was capable of you name it. I know where my heart was. I know who I was before the Lord got a hold of me, before he changed my life. And don't think that I'm kind of weird for saying that because every single one of you were too. Every single one of you were too. And you think, oh, come on. That's, that's put, there's a lot of really good people who would never do anything like that. Yeah, talk, talk to uh, Nazi Germany. You know, the people that were involved in that, they were normal people, just like you and just like me. But when the laws changed and it wasn't illegal to murder anymore, then it was okay. Well, my government's telling me. 
and those those Jews, you know, they're the responsible for all of this. So it must be okay. And, you know, it's okay to round them up into concentration camps. Now, the general public, they thought, oh, look, it's, it's happy, it's fun. It's like, yeah, but you're still, you still know. You know, they, they saw the boxcars going by. There were literally churches in that day that the, they would have the boxcars going by the church. There's one specific, if you go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, and they talk about this church. It's a chapel. And it's like there's, there's a railroad track right over where those houses are, right there. It's about, that's about how far away they were. And they would, they would be going by, and the Jews, they would see the cross on the steeple, and they'd be crying out for help. Help us, help us! And you'd have all these boxcars of people that had been in there, and there were no facilities. They're going to the bathroom on themselves and all that. They're, they're dying from disease just in the train ride to the concentration camp. And they're crying out to the church, help us, help us, help us, help us. And they're crying out. And you know what the pastor did? Instead of like going and talking to Hitler, instead of doing anything whatsoever, instead of doing any attempt to, um, to help those people, you know what he did? He had the organist play louder. So the people, while they were worshiping God and raising hands to their God, couldn't hear the cries of the people outside the window screaming for mercy. We're all capable of it. Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God. The carnal mind hates God, hates his people, wants to destroy it. And there's a lot of factors that can keep people from that, like fear of the law, fear of retribution, fear that they would be caught or somehow seen as a bad person. And those things restrain them. The Holy Spirit himself restraining them. But you have to understand that within the heart of every single unregenerate soul is the ability to destroy, to murder, to hate. It's scary, isn't it? But it's truth. And, and, and if you disagree with me, you know, I'm fine with that. You know, if you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. But it's like, you know what, there's far too much proof. You say, oh, you know, you know Islam, it, it, it's a peaceful religion. Well, you talk to my, a friend of ours. Um, she had a neighbor who was, who was Muslim, and she would be what's considered a very liberal Muslim. She doesn't have the headdress, none of that, you know, wears all the jewelry, everything's fine, everything's good, grew up here, and the whole bit. But, she, you know, she's Islamic, and, you know, my friend was having a conversation with her because their kids played together all the time and stuff like that, having a conversation with her and just basically said, hey, so what's this whole thing with jihad? And the lady's like, oh, okay, well, you know, and kind of gave like the, the blanket answer. She's, but yeah, she goes, but if, if the United States became a Muslim nation and, and Sharia Allah was, was the law in this land, wouldn't you have to kill me? And the lady, and you'd think this very liberal Muslim would say, oh, that, no, I'd never do that. And she, and she said, well, yeah, but you don't have to worry about that. And, you, and, I, and my friend was just like, and Yeah. She goes, yeah, but you don't need to worry about that. See, even the very liberal Muslim, if they know their, their scriptures, know that, yeah, jihad means if this person refuses to submit to Allah, you must kill them. So you might think, oh, look, they're very peaceful. They're very nice. And you see the stuff on the, on the newspapers and things like that. It's not, it, it, honestly, it doesn't even matter the religion itself. It's not that the religion itself is you know, putting out that stuff. It's like, that's the heart of people. See, it, it doesn't really matter what religion. You, you, can, you can look at any like cult or religion, any heart that is unregenerate is capable of the worst atrocities imaginable. 
from the stay-at-home mom to the grandma to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's all there. It's all there. And that is why we need to be urgent to obey the promptings of the Lord. Number one, so we can save those people. So that we can help them enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But also for our own sakes, our own protection many times. And then finally it says in verse 19, it says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Guys, God's timing is perfect. Don't get a hole ahead of God. A lot of times we're impatient for something. It's like, we want this to happen today. I see it happen in ministry all the time. Like guys like, I want this. This is my goal and I want to be here. And they're unwilling to walk the path that God has for them to get to that place. They're like, no, no, I want the shortcut. I want to get there today. I want to get there now on my terms. And guys, that's never a safe place because there is no shortcut in ministry. And many times when we're in a trial, what do we want? We want to get out of the trial. And yet David wrote many of his most profound psalms while he was in the midst of trial. Because there's only a very short season of his life when he wasn't in trial, right? Yeah, the first part of it when Saul was after him and he's like, oh, I'm a hunted dog. Ah, and he wrote a lot of psalms in that. And then there was this little, this little window of time when everything was good. And then he had the whole Bathsheba thing and God said, okay, well, what you did in secret, I'm going to expose on the, from the rooftops. There's going to be a sword against your house for the rest of your life. And so for the rest of his life, he had just like, just trauma after trauma after trauma, and he wrote a lot of psalms then too. God's timing is perfect. Allow him to be God in your life. Allow him to give you the when to stop and when to go. Be humble enough to say, Lord, thy will be done. Thy will be done. His timing is perfect. It says verse 21, then he arose. I love that. When Herod was dead, then he arose and took the child. See, when Herod died, when the danger was over, God sent word. He didn't send it through like FedEx or UPS or anything like that. He didn't send some messenger from a, a friend of Joseph to like send a, you know, to, to walk down to Egypt and say, here, here you go. Lord, he's much more efficient than that. He goes, I got an angel. He'll take care of it. Angel appears to him and says, hey, dude, you can go home now. He's like, oh, all right, honey, let's go. And off they went. But now, there's one other aspect of this. Sometimes, when the Lord provides something for us, we don't necessarily like it. Huh. Sometimes his provision, sometimes his protection, sometimes the obedience to the word of God has an aspect that we don't really like. And in verses um, 22 and 23, it says that, but when he had heard, that's uh, Joseph, that Archelaus was reigning over Judea. That's where they were from. Like, and Judea, you have to understand in Jewish culture, anywhere around Jerusalem, the, the, the rabbis in those days taught that to live in, like the, in, in Jerusalem proper was the equivalent of keeping all of the commandments. So you could be a murderer, but if you live, if, you're, if your home is in Jerusalem, it's like you kept all the law. You're all good. Okay, And then it, it went in degrees going down the hill. Like the, the further you got away from it, the less of that. But like all holiness was in Jerusalem, and it would sanctify you just living in its precincts. Okay, so that's where they were from, and that's where they wanted to be from, right? That's where they wanted to be. But he's like, I, I'm still, I'm still afraid. Like the Herods, you know, they're still in, in control, and they weren't going to go that way. 
and he was afraid, but then, listen, in verse 23 it says, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. A city called Nazareth. You guys familiar with Nazareth? You guys uh, remember Nathaniel in John uh, chapter 1, verse 46? Remember when, when uh, Philip came to, to Nathaniel and said, hey, you know, we think we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And, Phil, and, and he was like, Nathaniel kind of went like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Are you serious? Nazareth? And he's like, come see. Okay. Joseph and Mary, they, they were going to Judea. Ha, ha, ha. And then all seems like, ooh, maybe not such a good idea. And God said, no, no, I want you to go. See this little place over here called Nazareth? That'd be like saying um, Skid Row. Hey, you want to go over to Skid Row? That's a good place for you. I'm going to settle you and your family down there to raise your family. Skid Row. Have fun. Sometimes, sometimes, even God's provision, even God's protection, when the word of the Lord comes, when he sends a messenger, sometimes the things he tells us we don't like. But you know what? He's got a plan, and it's good. In this one, you, you, you can imagine how Joseph would have thought about that in Nazareth. Oh. But listen, this was in fulfillment of the Scriptures. This was to keep the Word of God. He shall be called a Nazarene. And I, I don't know about you guys, but like you think of Jesus, like you think of like a Nazarene, some guy with really long hair, doesn't eat grapes or drink grape juice or anything like that. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what that prophecy was talking about. He was talking literally like, you're a Californian. He's a Nazarene. That's who he is. Okay? Guys, it's so important to be content with whatever God gives you. Whatever he provides, give thanks. Rejoice. For he is good. And though you don't understand it in, in this time, you can be sure it has an eternal weight of glory attached to it. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, you are so amazing to us, Lord, and you care so much for us. What can we say, Lord? But amen. Lord, you are God, and we are your servants. We are your people. So, Lord, we just pray that you would just take these things, Lord, that you would take your word, Lord, that you would sink it deep into our hearts, Lord, that you would reveal to us the areas that, that we are not humble, that we're not submissive to you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, the things that you are doing. Help us to understand, Lord, when you would have us to give to others. Help us to understand when we need to receive from others. Help us to love one another, Lord, to have a heart that cares and not to be hard-hearted, not to be cold, not to have the, the attitude of, I don't care. But Lord, let us care. Let people in this country, Lord, let people in this city, in our places of business, Lord, let them look upon us and see the love of God in us. That they might glorify you. Lord, we just love you with all of our hearts and all that we are, Lord, all that we have. Let it be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.